the Sports Career Podcast, episode 328, how to improve your leadership skills in the football industry. Hello Sports Achiever and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast and if you are new to the show, welcome, I'm your host Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in pursuing a career in the football industry. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest, it's such a privilege to have Tatiana Henai who is the Chief Sporting Director of the National Women's Soccer League, who has over 20 years plus in the football industry in general. So for that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Tatiana as a special guest on the show. And that's when today's episode, Tatiana will share her football career journey to you and explain why leadership is such an important component with regards to influencing positive change in the football industry. Have a listen and enjoy. Tatiana, it's such a joy to have you on the Sports Grid podcast. Please just share to listeners your Sports Grid journey. When did it all start? That's a really difficult question or an easy question. I don't know. An easy question, but a long answer. Uh, I try to be short. So I guess it all started when I was a, a young girl growing up and I just loved to play football. Um, no, not knowing why, how. Um, the only reference I have is my dad was an average football player and a big fan. Uh, I don't know if that was the, the start, but I started to play when I was young and as the one and only girl in, in, in the area I was living at the time when girls football or women's football did not really exist. Um, but I just kept on doing it. And from there on, things developed. Okay, that's a bit too short and sweet. I want to go and unpeel this onion because I've had other sort of female footballers on the show and that's been a very similar career path in regards to like the one that comes to mind is Julia Simic she was the Ernie girl in Germany in our local school playing and she ended up playing for Germany and playing for Wolfsburg with regards to that pathway of literally putting that flag going I'm going to be a professional footballer when was that moment despite that you were the Ernie girl at the time there must have been that self-belief where even if there was no path you created your own path to make it happen um, I, I guess I'm my career if you can say so or my path um is actually it, it explains many things which what I believe today and I guess I played football because I did it naturally uh like today hopefully almost everywhere every girl and every boy just play football if they like um and more and more girls do that luckily. Um, either with girls only or boys or mixed or whatever. So because I did that naturally and I was good enough, I was talented, I could play with the boys. So there was no barrier for me to stop playing because um, I just played in my neighborhood with the boys, by far the only girl. Uh, but because I was good enough and I was probably one of the better ones of that group, um, 
compared to the boys, it, it was natural and nobody bothered. And we were young kids. We were just out playing. Um, I guess the, the problem with that, um, and we realized that in the last years, luckily, if you're not as good as, as the boys, as a girl, and you cannot play with them, um, then you stop because there's nothing for you. So I think that's why we need girls only um, of, um, you know, clubs, teams. So if, if a girl wants to play with a boys team, perfect. Um, if she doesn't want to do that because she's either uh, on a different level or she doesn't enjoy it, she doesn't feel comfortable, she might be the only girl, then we need also girls only team. So for me, growing up, that just means it was so normal that I could play football that I never understood why this should not work. And and I didn't have the dream of being a professional football player. Uh, I just wanted to play football and I loved it. And then there was no team. I finally found out the team. I went to this club. It was a women's team, only one team, no youth categories, nothing. Um, these women playing there were between, I don't know, 16, 18 and probably 40. One team uh, in, in one league, which existed in Switzerland at that time with like eight or 10 teams in total in the whole country. And I went there when I was... 12 and something and because I was talented they just took me in in their team and and from that moment on I played with them okay I just want to unravel another onion I don't want to talk too much on sport policy but I think it's really important you mentioned a bit there that currently now there needs to be you know separate pathways for girls from a performance standpoint but how important is it for girls just to play football for just enjoyment because I think just from a UK perspective, there's still this barrier of girls giving up sport very early on in their like childhood. So as much as I agree, it's good to have a pathway for girls to be a professional footballer, reflecting on how important is it to have just for girls just to turn up on an evening and play five a side. I know this, you probably weren't expecting that, but I think it's important in the modern era that these conversations need to be discussed, not just from a performance standpoint. So I'm just curious your thoughts on that, because I can tell you enjoyed it from the tone of your voice that you just wanted to play. No, I think it's a, it's a good question, but I think the answer to that question is way more complicated because one of my key topics, which is bothering me still nowadays, after all those years of, of a career in, in football, uh, we don't have enough or actually almost none decision-making power for women's football-specific topics. And that is my biggest worry. So the, the people in charge are mostly men or women, uh, but mostly men um, coming out of men's football, organizing men's football. And even if they say now nowadays uh, girls can play mixed, you know, fundamentally, that's a good idea. I think kids should just play mixed. Why not? You know, they have fun. They play together. There's, there's no barrier to it. But nobody takes into account that there has to be women's or girls specific um, offers because some girls do not want to play with boys and we're in football still in a very much male dominated world and it's not uh, because they don't want to or 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 um, it's against girls or against women's football they just don't know but how can you as a as a man having been involved in men's football for 10 20 30 years just assume you know what's good for girls I mean, that still bothers me. And that goes from a little grassroots community environment to school, to football clubs, but even up to the level of, of, of the big, um, you know, rights holders in, in football, which are the confederations, national football associations, the confederations, and even up to FIFA. How can FIFA, with a very limited know-how, expertise in their organization about girls and women's football, decide what's good for girls and women's football? You need to talk to these people who know, and that's women and girls who actually have played women and girls football. Oh, people who have you know done research and, and studies around 
um, kids' development and girls and boys are not the same. So back to your actual question, I think there are studies now out there. And what they say is that on the grassroots level, um, even young boys are sometimes more competitive and they want to win. And they want to go on the pitch and just score goals and win, whereas girls are more into having fun together, playing together, you know, have joy and and pass the ball around. And it's not so much competitive. So if you understand that now, that's very simple how I explain that. But if you understand that, you understand that you need two offers. You need you, you need something for the competitive ones. And yes, there might be girls who want to go there. And those girls are probably the ones who come up at the end as really, really good and talented players. But if you want to have more girls playing football who may not go to a professional elite level, but we need more grassroots activities. At the end, we need more women in the game as as coaches, as referees, as officials, as future club presidents. The easiest entry door to have more women in football is if those women have played football as a kid. So, you know, that's where the circle kind of closes um, we need as many girls playing football as possible. That's the fundamental goal because based on that, everything else grows or exists. And to get as many p- girls playing football, we need as many offers as possible for every girl, whatever she wants. Mixed football, girls only football, competitive football, fun football. And the same should be true for boys because I also think on a boys' side, it's the same. Not every boy wants to become a professional football player or not every boy actually has the talent to become a f- professional football player. So we have to have in the football landscape just something for everybody. I know that was a big question. You, you answered it amazingly, but I'm going to go back to your career now. When was the moment, because I can hear the passion from all the different perspectives of what you've just said from a policy standpoint, but when was the moment after your career in professional football where you wanted to de- dedicate your career to the football industry, but particularly with regards to women's football Um, and if you don't mind just paint the picture of the duration of time I won't mention your age and please don't mention your age but I just want people to realize the dedication behind the scenes (laughs) of how long you've been doing this for yeah well no problem to mention my age it's it's public knowledge anyway so um well I think to answer your question it, it it was never a conscious moment it was just um a continuous story of my life. So I wanted, I, I just did play because, because I loved it and I had fun. I ended up in this club. Um, I, I I mean, it's nice of you. You keep saying I was a professional football player. I think at my time that was not completely true. I did play for the Swiss national team, but, you know, this was, I would call it amateur football. We trained like three times a day and obviously there was no salary and uh, we had to finish our school, universities and, and uh, go to do some work and earn our living. So, um, yes, I was on top level in Switzerland, but that was kind of um, not professional, but it was the best level we had. Um, so it, I, I continued to play, um, I continued to work, and somehow um, it, it was just one after the other because I loved football so much. I then started to do some coaching courses. I um, got my C license, my B license. I knew I want to do the A license. Then I knew with the A license, that's kind of a higher level of coaching. So I went into... Uh, coaching a top team in Switzerland and I never thought that this you know should be my career or um it was just what I loved it was my it was my hobby my social environment my friends um and yes somehow over the time and I didn't realize that really it just you know it 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 makes makes you a different person I don't know 10 20 years of playing you know five years of coaching 
it, this is becomes your world. You love it. You have fun. And you realize that there's so many injustice and, and so many things you don't understand. And then you realize the higher you go in more responsible roles, well, actually, we don't get a field to play on. Actually, my club, a lower uh, men's football team on, on whatever, the fourth, fifth highest league, has actually more access to dressing rooms and, and money and pitches than us, the best women's team in the country. So you start to kind of not understanding really what, what why is this and you know why is the, and and that started to create um in myself this probably this passion naturally that I want to change things that that doesn't feel right and um slowly slowly um yeah you you start to try to influence things and then you start to understand how the system works at the same time I worked at UEFA and then at FIFA for a very long time. So I had one foot on the ground in a local football club. Um, at the end of the day, it was 20 years president with FC Zurich women, which was Sebach before and other names. And at the same time, I was also making my career at FIFA, being in charge of women's football, going from you know a manager to a senior manager to a head of uh, running all the women's World Cups. So I had both sides, the extreme top level at FIFA and the the grass, well, I, I would call it elite level grassroots on, on a club level in Switzerland. And these two things just did not match, like not at all. Uh, what we do on the ground and what's happening on the top level. And that just, you know, if you're within FIFA, you cannot not do nothing. You have to try to influence and create change. And that's what I did. And then I became probably quite passionate about it. Just from a self-awareness perspective, I need a timeout. What you've just said there of that experience of on the ground and the leadership side, like looking right at this moment, how is that supported now in the current role we're doing? We'll go in a lot more detail, but from a self-awareness perspective, how has that supported you from a skill set perspective as a leader? I'm just curious on that side. That's a really important point you mentioned in your last uh, reply. Well, it, it, it definitely gave me the... Um... The awareness of many things, the know-how of of you know of how this football landscape works, um, the different partner stakeholders, uh, and how big football actually is, and how decision making works, and to where I am today, I, I would say it gave me the the um, self confidence to to be really clear on what I say and and ask for things and point out challenges and and work towards a better environment for women's football and um, probably know which would be the best next steps to 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 move on just because I've seen it and I've worked through it and I have so much experience from everything from playing coaching running a club. Um, working for a federation, working for FIFA, organizing Women's World Cup, doing strategy for federation. So this this whole package um, of my expertise and experience and know-how gives me the self-confidence that I know I know much more than almost everybody who decides on football. And I'm not saying I know everything, by far not. There's many more people who have an excellent know-how and together we can you know, drive the game. But I do know that I know more than the ones in charge now. And, okay, I'm going to go even more deep because this is really important. How, just from a skill set perspective, so I want people to really listen of like the hardship of those years of dedication. How has your like communication skills elevated? Like you just said, you had to 
listen to everybody, see, you've seen it from first hand. Again, reflecting, how are those skills supported you right now? Because you forged your own path again, and there wasn't a manual of step one, step two, step three of your career journey. You had to really figure out that journey. So I just want to elevate, because I always say communication skills is a pillar of working in the sports industry. You could say that in any industry, but from my experience, it's communication that is the starting block. How are your communication skills elevated, but particularly your listening skills, so you understand the landscape of women's football now and where it needs to go? Yeah, I guess for, for leadership skills, there's um, you, you need know-how, experience, expertise. You need to know what you're talking about. Um, and you need to understand the environment you're in and how that works. And that's different, uh, I guess, from, from where I work now to where, where I, when I worked at FIFA to when I worked at the Swiss FA. It's different. It's not completely different, but it's different. So you need to understand with whom are you working? What are these people? Um, who is decision-making um, process going? Uh, what's the chemistry? What's the politics? Uh, where is the power? Um, you, you need to, to know that. And when it comes down to, to communication, you know, I, I would not go as far as I, I would think my ways is the right way or, or so, but clearly if you're underrepresented and you're a minority uh, in whatever area and you want something from, you know, the big cake, you, you just can't go out there and shout. Uh, that's usually just not how it, how it works, unless you have so much power. You know, if, if, if I'm the future president of an FA or of the Swiss FA, as an example, I could probably make some decisions quicker because I'm the president. I don't know if I get reelected after my mandate, but, but I could, I could do that. Um, if you're an employee, um, you, you you need the buy-in from people. You need you know majorities. You need supporters. You you need people um, helping you out, advising you, um, or in the different committees wherever decisions are taken. You know where 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 they discuss and take a vote. So yeah, of course, communication is key, uh, absolutely, because you're if you're the minority, you need people who buy in, and that you only get if if you talk to them, you explain to them your convince them you you probably find something they found attractive and, and then you move on together um diplomacy probably is is also a key word understanding the people a little bit of you know psychology probably putting people in in you know understanding them how they are um who is uh, who is a supporter who means it honestly and and which way do you want to go so i i don't know if that that answers your question um but I mean, to put that really, really simple, I think you need to talk a lot. Um, if people sometimes ask me what I do um, and I make a joke out of it, I just sit, I talk. I talk and talk and talk because you need to get some buy in and you need to convince people. And probably, you know, sometimes that's too much. I, I also, I know uh, some people probably don't like me too much and I annoy them because you don't stop to talk. You You go again and again and they say no to something and you go again. So um, I, I actually think I'm not sure if communication skills is the, the first one I would mention if you ask me what you need to drive the women's game in an environment when it's the minority, which in probably 90% of all countries and clubs and leagues in the world, that's the case. Just not here where I work now at the National Women's Soccer League. We're independent, self-financed. So that makes a huge change to how we take decisions. We all work for the same but I understand that we are probably the only women's football organization in the world who operates like that. So everybody else has to convince people 
And uh, for that, you need to be very convincing um, and you need to know what you're talking about. 100%. Before we talk about today's podcast topic, though, which is about leadership, which you've hinted already, I'm just curious about culture. Before we went live, I, I did say to you, like, how's life in New York? And the one thing, again, another pillar of my podcast that's, I think, vital working in this industry is being mindful of different cultures, how sports are run. I'm just curious from a football industry standpoint, how are you adapting right now from, you know, working in Europe to now working in the United States from a cultural standpoint? Yeah, that's interesting. Mm, you would think the cultural differences are not so big. Um, well, the question is, what is big? There are some differences, clearly. Um, I'm adapting, I think. Uh, we would have to ask my my colleagues here what they think. But I'm, I think I, I'm adapting really well, just because um, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm an open-minded person person i'm i'm very mindful i'm i'm very um respectful uh, I, I i like people i i'm open towards people i i like to meet new people i like to listen i like to ask a lot of questions and and have a i think a lot of empathy so that helps me to to settle in here really well i you know i'm i'm the only european i'm the only foreigner working here so by far i would never ever just come in and and you know and, and say what they need to do and how they need to do it and you know oh, in Europe you do it like this and you need to change and, and so on. I would never do that. I gave myself time up to summer to you know stay quiet, which is sometimes hard, but I try <laughs> and listen and learn. And there's a lot to learn, you know. I mean the American sports landscape is so different to what we know from Europe. So there is a lot I need to understand and learn. So I'm I'm listening right now. I, I go and visit all teams, um, decision makers, media, owners, board members. And by summer, I will have hopefully listened enough. So that after the Women's World Cup, when we come back, I will be able to speed up my actions and make changes. So hold on, are you doing like a listening tour? The reason I say this, and you saw my reaction, <laughs> I saw an event with uh, ESPN did a women's leadership conference where Jessica Berman was one of the speakers. And when she got a new role, who's commissioner, just by the way, if you don't know the NWSL, she said, I'm taking a listening tour, listen to all the stakeholders before I create new change. So can I just, sorry if I mentioned that, but I've learned so much from that, from that conference. Can I just say you're doing that right now? From a practical standpoint, absolutely no, absolutely. I mean, Jessica Berman is my boss, and I think it it uh, speaks for her and and also for me and the very well working chemistry between us and respect that we we do the same and and we have the same principle. She when she came in a year ago as the new commissioner, uh, not as a soccer specialist, um, any anything else. She has uh, a huge track record in, in sports and I think she's excellent. She's a, a role model and, and I appreciate a lot. And I keep saying it's probably my first or second boss in my whole business uh, career where I really think um, she's amazing. And I learn and she motivates and she inspires and she has the right values. And I've never had that before. So in my in my age, um, which is amazing. And I, I'm super happy that I'm can experience that but yeah i mean she's not a soccer specialist and she went on a listening tour i'm not the u.s uh, sports or u.s soccer landscape specialist so i'm i'm on a listening tour and i just think that's normal um because no nobody knows everything and and i try to you know make what is best for this country and for this league so i need to understand the landscape and again if i can come back to one of my most favorite topics if um the men running men's football and now also being in charge of women's football quite often 
like technical directors at FAs or at clubs. And suddenly they have done men's football for their whole career. And now they add women's football and it's it's within their responsibility as well. I think it would be nice if they also would listen and talk and uh, find out what they want to do before they just think they know, uh, which is actually what is happening, you know. So I, I guess it's, it's maybe a female leadership skill, um, if you can say that, that um, women are more into you know getting a big picture first talking to people making sure i understand everything um similar to what i said about girls football and girls want to play football it's women are different leaders and i think it speaks for us that we are on a listening tour before we decide so just from a practical standpoint any listeners listening and what is this listening tour would you give any tips is it just jotting down notes is it like maybe not interrupting conversation and just listening for a period of time just from like a little strategy I hope you won't mind this. I'm just curious from a practical standpoint. For me, it's um for me it's it's many things. It's um showing respect for the key stakeholders in our league, which are the teams, players, the coaches, the owners, um, the investors. It's also setting up uh, a foundation for a relationship. Uh, it's all about relationship. If you work together, you know, you need to know each other, respect each other, uh, share vision as much as possible have a foundation for good, fruitful um, discussions, even though they might you might disagree. And so you, you can work together and find what is the best solution given the different, maybe totally different opinions. So uh, this, this listening tour means you, you're building up um, th- this basis for the future collaboration. Uh, so once you know each other, you you have a better feeling for the team. I, I, I went to every team. I've not done, not finished my tour, but I've been to a couple of teams. So I know where their home is. I know a little bit how the training center looks like, the stadium. Is it is it a good one? Is it not such a good one? Do they have good facilities or are, have they, do they have challenges? So how do the players feel? Are they super happy? Um, you know, would they love to have some improvements? Where are these improvements? Is it is it the training site? Is it the gym? Is it, you know, the, the medical environment? Is it the nutrition? Is it the coach's quality? I don't know. Is it the home stadium? Uh, do they play on artificial turf, natural turf? You need to know those things if you want to drive change and and improve whatever we do, because that's fundamentally our goal. You need to know what you're talking about. And I guess to that, you know, continuing on that path, you also need to understand decision makers and board members and owners and investors, how much more is possible? Um, where do we put the focus on? So I, I think the listening tour to me means getting to know everybody, presenting myself to them so they also know me. They There's an open door. They know they can reach out to me if, if there's anything. And just setting setting that basis for, for everything we do in the future. So we better get today's podcast topic from a leadership standpoint. In your opinion, what qualities do people need with regards to women's football? And I'm going to give a little case study because really this is where I learned a lot from you was 2020 with the Athens Women's Football Summit, that digital summit. It was you and Ebru Coxall and... I was the dude behind the scenes making it happen. And I learned so much from you, not just from what you're talking about. It was more the leadership standpoint of why this is important. I don't just mean female leadership. I just mean lead good leaders with right values to improve the women's game, male and females. If I'm going to get the terminology all right there, but it needs to be with the right values behind that to make it happen. So I'm just curious of what qualities you would like to see more of or is 100% required to drive the women's game from a leadership standpoint? 
So leadership in women's football to me means you know what you're talking about. And we have to stop to talk about women's football because I think nowadays it's so segmented. It's no longer women's football. It's women playing football. But what what is the topic we want to talk about? Is it the elite level? Is it, you know, the professional game where it's more about how can we increase standards for the professional game? Or is it access to the game? How can we increase girls playing football? Is it infrastructure? Is it politics? Is it, is it funding? So on the men's side, and I really don't like to compare women's football with men's football, but on the men's side, you don't discuss men's football. You discuss uh, transfer mechanisms or you discuss, you know, um, youth talent pathway or academies or you discuss stadium construction or you know hooligans to bring some bad stuff in or you know security around the game or refereeing um you know attitude of players on and off the pitch and the distance between male top players and fans and, and how they live in different worlds so it really comes down to what are we talking about so to your question leadership i think it depends what are you talking and if you know what you're talking, you need expertise in that area. Um, so in women's football, there's not many experts. And expert to me means you are in women's in the women's game since five, ten or more years. You want to be in the women's game. It's not the entry point to the men's football world where it's more money. You're not going as a coach to the women's game because that's the best you get. And then as soon as you can, you're out of it because you you want to go. That's, you know, I understand why, but it's not right. So we need people in the women's game who want to be in the women's game and they care and they have their values and they understand that the women's game is not the men's game. We have a trend today that our top female players become attitude wise as the male top players. And I think that's not the best way we should go forward. And it's partly because we have no women's football expertise in the women's game. It's people from the men's game coming in and then they say, well, why do teams, whatever, do this and that? Because, okay, they don't know it. In the men's game, it's not done like this. But maybe in the women's game, it's actually a nice thing to do it like this. So why can't we just keep it? So why do we have to copy everything we do on the men's side and the women's side? So leadership is expertise, know-how. In the women's game, it's passion because we are growing. We're um, under-resourced, understaffed, under-structured, um, not almost never decision making power, almost never on the top um, committees. So you need to be able to wherever you work, convince, um, you know, push forward. So you need uh, self confidence. You need courage, motivation. You can not give up too quickly, uh, and you need to network. You need that. You need to know people around you who support you. Uh, where if you were in a tough moment or or so, you can share your frustration or get input and support. Uh, I think those are the key elements. I'm going to now share my other side of the mic, because to be honest, Tatiana, I've been on a listening tour from the first summit of 2019 when I where I did meet you. I was just the moderator. And since then, I've just sort of been behind the scenes, curious of the growth. And I'm so grateful for Athens for me to have the opportunity, because really, I'm just a guy who rocks the mic and interview people with careers but the one thing I have learned from my listening tour and seeing where the game is growing is there's a bit of a theme that, should we say, men's football is a different product to women's football or football being played by women. I just want to get the terminology so we're on the same page. But I do think there's a theme with all different people I've spoken to that it is a separate product. And I just wanted your thoughts on that. Do you think that could be one of the reasons why there's this 
bit of confusion of people in the men's game modeling it and just putting it or like copy and pasting it into the women's game as an ecosystem where actually it has its own ecosystem, its own right, because it's a separate product. I just would love your thoughts on that, because I think that if we get that right, I personally believe everything will slot into place to make it more professional. What you said about the attitude of these female footballers are like the same as men in respect, financial, equal pay, and all the social structures behind as an ecosystem. I know that's very long-winded, but that's nearly four years my end of listening and just listening from different perspectives. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I think I'd love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. You know, again, it's it's not so easy. It really comes down to you need to have the know-how about everything, then you can take the right decisions. I'm not saying women's football and men's football need to be always separate. There's mixed football, which is great. But mixed football to me, is it on a kid's level or even adults where kid, uh, mixed football is totally fine. But then we're talking amateur level. We're talking fun football. We're talking just be on a field somewhere out there, kick a ball, you know, have a barbecue afterwards, just enjoy the, the game you all love. That's different than a women's World Cup or a men's World Cup. So, you, and, and again, it comes down to know-how. If, if you ask me or, or a few others in a women's game, we know that, but then the big majority doesn't know that. And that's fine. You cannot know everything, but then ask people who know. So women's football nowadays is still under-resourced. And why? Because maybe up until a couple of years ago, the rights were not unbundled. The partners were the same. The TV rights were the same. And, and women's football was always looked at this, um, yeah, it's not, you know, financially attractive. It doesn't attract people. It doesn't attract, you know, commercial partners. It's not creating an income and, and there's no money. So it was always treated as this little something. And, and with that feeling, you need to be thankful because men's football, you know, gives money to you so you can actually live. So you have to be thankful. And now, finally, we are about to realize that actually there is a market but you need to present it as a product. The elite women's game right now in, in Europe with the Champions League, um, with the Women's Euro last year in, in England, with um, the success stories around the FIFA Women's World Cup. But I particularly, I, I'm not, I don't think that's the best case. I think a club World Cup would show that. Um, some of the leagues are showing it England um, and, and us here in the States. So there is a market. And if you look at the, crazy development over the last years with partners coming in, commercial deals coming in, you know, media deals now starting to create. I mean, yes, the product, it's a product. And I just never understand why the football world owning men's football and women's football as pro never looked at it like this. To me, and sorry now for making some promotion for a brand, uh, I don't care, take, take Coke. Coke is a company and they have plenty of different drinks, soft drinks. Is it water? Is it, you know, Sprite, Fanta? I don't know what, uh, different flavors, Coke, Coke Zero, Coke Light, everything. And why do they have that? They want to deliver their product from their company to everybody who drinks something. So basically the whole world, everybody drinks. So they want to offer, if Coke is too sweet for you and, you know, whatever, then there has to be something else. And for me, the football world is the same. Your product is football, but there's football for girls, for men, for elite, for youth, for fun, for amateurs, for the ones who want to train five times, for the ones who want to train once. Blind football. Sorry, just I mean, from a... Blind yeah. football, handicapped yeah. football, even sorts of futsal, beach soccer. 
as a football owner, you own everything around this game. So if you're a business person, you try to maximize and develop every product you have. And if the football world would have thought like this, women's football would be somewhere else since a long time. But because it was stuck in this, oh, we don't care, there's no market, nobody wants to watch it, um, we don't want to do anything, we are at the beginning of, of that new phase where people start to realize, actually society started to push everybody. Society changed, women's rights changed, uh, women's sports changed because of society, because of girls and women who want to be more active. And then media started to react because of society pushed media. Why are you not writing more about women's sport? The commercial partners started to react. And that created a momentum which then led to football associations and confederations and whoever. Oh, well, actually now there is something. We should maybe do something. It's crazy, actually. But I mean, the good news is we're changing that. So um, I do think, yes, it's a totally different product. It targets same people, but also different people. And you need the choice. Every person on this planet should have a choice as a player, men, female, whatever. Do I want to play? Do I not want to play? Spectator, do I want to watch this or that or something else? And then at the end of the day, you offer something for everybody. 100%. And there's just one phrase I want to talk about is your motto on your LinkedIn and people can read it. But I think this is super important. You said that women's football and women in football are not the same. Could you just explain this because I think it's super powerful but it's super important for positive change not just on the pitch but particularly off the pitch of you know people having equal access in the football industry from an employment standpoint yeah so I think men's football and women's football we kind of discussed just now a little bit I think it's um, access to the game for both genders or actually more genders that that's a key topic I don't know if the Football world knows what, what to do, but um, that's certainly right now also a topic. Um, and, and then there's it's a product. So I'm on the elite level, men's football, women's football, and elite level, I mean, you know, the top clubs in the highest leagues, like the, you know, the Manchester United Cities, Chelsea's Arsenal, and 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 for us, you know, Portland and San Diego and Angel City and Kansas City and all these teams we're having. Um, so or or in Germany, the Bayerns and the Wolfsburgs, whatever, that to me is elite level. And that's a product. That's what people want to watch. They don't want to watch in high numbers anything else than the best of the best. So that to me is a product. Um, so that's women's football or men's football on the elite level. And women in football or men in football is not the same because my history and my path was always, oh, we need more women in women's football. We need female referees in women's football. We need female coaches in women's football. And that was another stopper of the development because that's just not true. Of course, you may have or should have more female coaches in a women's game because those were the former players. They know maybe best and they have sympathy and know-how and everything. But it's not every female wants to coach women's football. Maybe a female coach wants to coach men's football. And actually, gender equality we have achieved when we have more women in the men's game. Because we have plenty of men in the women's game, and that's never a topic. You know, we have coaches and referees and you know, doctors and physios and media officers, and that's great if they care and if they're good. That's great. I'm not about women in women's football and men in men's football. I'm, I'm in all in for diversity, the best person at the best spot. And if a man wants to work in women's football, great. Like in Switzerland, we had Nils Nielsen, wonderful person, great coach. Loved him. 
he loves women's football. He's in women's football since a long time. He knows it. He gets it. Great guy. Love him. But we also have Inka Grings, the former German world-class player who has a pro license, top-level player, best license you can have. And over years, she said, I would love to be coach in men's football. And she got no chance. And you know how many average to bad male coaches are in the men's game and they keep on getting jobs and then they fail and then they keep on getting another job and then they fail and they have one female top coach who did not even get a chance in men's football so that is actually the gender barrier when the men's game has more women on their elite level then the diversity which we all want has we have achieved so for me it's really uh humans in football the best person at the at the job he or she wants to do and no matter what gender and that we're far away from that i'm gonna put in the spot again how far in your humble opinion because for me just just hear me out here and i actually was at the first summit this is why i got so bought into women's football i don't remember the first summit when there was a question in the audience uh, to Ebru going, how can a woman add value to a boardroom? And the room just erupted. And it was good. It was good friction because I was next to Jim Gooley, another person on the podcast. And I said to him, you do realize this week, you know, Ian Musk put a rocket to Mars and we're still having this conversation. And I know this is, you know, a silly example, but I actually said that to him. And that's where it opened up my mind, uh, Tatiana, that I went, my podcast needs to be a tool to educate these conversations we're having right now because if we don't they'll never really be discussed so and and I'm so grateful for that journalist because if he didn't say it and it was a he I don't think there would have been the change of where we are now but I'm going to go back to my original question when do you think gut wise that's resolved because it's sad that there's so much technology that's going super fast in society but things like this isn't uh, I don't get it. Well, I don't get it either. You know, I mean, I can I can just look at my career and I had to push myself through. I'm not a very ambitious person, actually, and hierarchy and titles and, and you know, salaries. I, I really don't care. I went more ambitious when I realized you need to have decision-making power to actually do something. That's when I started to ask for higher positions because I wanted to influence stuff. Um, but football per se is not a normal business, right? Um, it's not, it's not the economy driving. It's not the KPIs driving. Um, it's, it's a monopole in, in top down, uh, maybe on a league level and on a club level, it becomes different, but all above a league level is, is really a, a monopole and there's a uh, different, different mechanisms working there and it's sports politics and it's not it's not business orientated so that's why it takes even longer for gender equality and, and more women uh, the history is men running men's football um, that's difficult that doesn't help to have more diversity and then you add that it's a monopole and not you know a normal business um, there's no really no no not enough criticism from outside probably so it takes just so much longer than you what you see in politics there's many more women at least in luckily in central europe i would say or in some other western countries um, not all over the world but 
I would say there's some good signs somewhere. Um, there's more women in decision-making positions on the C-level, on the governing bodies, on companies. Uh, there's a huge trend as well. There's some quota in the Nordic countries, uh, Norway, which makes huge steps. Uh, Switzerland is not very strong on that either. It, it, it's shocking, actually. It's really shocking. But people don't want to change. They're too privileged. Things go too well. There's no pressure. So they don't open up their doors. Now, to your question, how long does that take? If I'm positive, 10 years. I mean, you saw what happened at the UEFA Congress where Lisa Claveness, a, a wonderful person, um, educated, you know, brings everything she needs to bring to sit on the UEFA executive committee, did not get elected. Um, to some people you can discuss if that's good or bad, if they're sitting there. Um, so she did not get elected. So that's a sign that the football world is not ready yet because she brings everything she has to bring to sit on the UEFA executive committee and the quota it's uh it's one woman right that uefa exco so there's one female seat dedicated for a woman so without that probably not even one woman would sit there the fifa council is the same i think it's six women out of whatever 36 people so the quota is totally wrong and if you don't put the female quota in it then there's no woman most likely that shows you the culture and um by itself to make that different if there's no governing body like a country law who demands sports organization to have a different you know governance rules that can take 50 years to change if they're not forced to change i mean ideally it's 50 50 right until we have 50 50 in any of these football associations i don't think i will be alive to see that I was going to say I'd have very grey hair, and that's what saddens me. Uh, not the grey hair, I mean the, <laughs> the situation. But look, you know, I was at the Swiss FA in the last four or five years, and they have no women on their executive uh, committee. And maybe now this year there's a re-election of the president. Maybe now they add one or two, but they're still discussing, and that's in 2023. Whereas I think you have no women on your executive committee. It's a no-brainer. It's like, excuse my word, shit, we're too late. Let's do it. We can only win. It's only needed. It's only good. It will help us. It will help the association, the image, the growth of the game, everything. Let's add one or two. And instead of this attitude, they're still discussing if they want to do it or not. Just from a practical standpoint, because I've seen it face hand with now the Athens event is what I've enjoyed and I'm going to even say sponsorship, like Sally Hancock, for example. We've got a mutual connection in the sponsorship world. The top sponsorship professionals I've learned from are all female. And it, I'm not relating to always the gender, but I'm just saying to you, Jackie Fast, I did a podcast on it, the top tips. And I, I you know, I'm saying Sally because I re-listened to her podcast and everything with her is strategic and it backed up with metrics and analysis. And I think we're going because we're going deep here now, Tatiana, with this conversation, it's important we're having it. But what I've enjoyed learning from other professionals from different sports is they get rid of that emotion. The football industry, football can be dominated by the emotion of loving football instead of the positive change. I know that could be another discussion, but I'm just being truthful for my learning. Yeah, yeah. but you know, the emotions, I think you have to make a difference between clubs um, and governing bodies because a club 
you need certainly nowadays uh, you need a lot of money to own a club so it's investors it's rich people it's companies it's capital venture companies and i agree with you there's a lot of emotions there's somebody who loves football and wants to be involved has the resources to buy a club buys a club and then either gets specialists to run it or runs it by himself usually and then the result usually you see over over years if that's working or not and that is, has a lot to do sometimes not always there's good examples though eh, of good good well run clubs but yes sometimes that's emotions and it doesn't end up well because with emotions you're not running a multi million there's no yes. clarity in However, your on the sports governing bodies it's not emotions it's a lifelong career being a sports politician functionary official going up from a regional association or from a club to a regional association, to a national association, to a confederation, up to FIFA, you invest 30 years to get there. Uh, and you are then somebody out of this system. So that's not an emotional decision. I want to now be key, become a FIFA council member, you know, even a billionaire nowadays, unless he pays FIFA a billion, he's not going into a FIFA council because he's not coming through that system and that is i think both is critical and not the right way to do it i hope people are enjoying this conversation as much as i am i'm going to now go back to your career journey now tatiana like out of interest like i know there's been challenges along the way but how has sort of getting out your comfort zone really supported you pursuing a career in the football industry Going out of your comfort zone is always helpful. Is it on a personal level or on a business level? You, you only grow and you know you only learn if you do that. If you if you stay in your environment which you're used to, you know, fair enough. It's not good or bad, but then you you stay in the same environment. Uh, if you want to grow, uh, you need to get out of it. And and there's so much we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. And you only realize that when you you know expose yourself to some challenges and you're open to it. And you have that open mindset and you don't think you know everything. Um, so I guess uh, that's sometimes and also the difference of people going on in their lives, in their careers, in different roles or not. Um, if you're not open, if you don't want to be challenged, if you're not courageous, um, if you don't dream about bigger things, of achieving things, of changing things, then you don't. And that's fair. Uh, you know, I, I would never judge people or or. You don't have to be one or the other, but I I do think on my path um, there were some some challenges and some, but the, the driver was really I want to change women's football for the better and women in football for the better. I was somehow into a position where I realized that there's so much to do and I felt responsible. I felt like you're here now. You you have to do something. You cannot give up. This needs to change, and and. Through that and probably my nature of being courageous and, and curious and, you know, very, uh, very sensitive towards gender equality and e equity is a big thing for me. Um, and, and I just love to, to drive things forward with people. And I'm not selfish. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not very egoistic. So you go through ups and downs, but it only makes you better. I still think I'm learning now in my role here at the NWSL and my move to, to the States, which challenged me a lot. I feel 
it's tough sometimes because you're challenged and that's not easy. But at the same time, I'm I'm so happy and privileged that I can do that and learn and still in my old age um actually find out that Wise. much <laughs> that there's so much I didn't know and I'm learning now. And I think it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity and I'm I'm very thankful for that. What what are you proud of reflecting right now your career, except just getting the Athens Award last year? Uh, unless that is your <laughs> highlight, you never know. But just reflecting the last 20 plus years, what are you most proud of from your football career industry journey? Well, the Athens Football Summit and all my experiences there do make me very proud since I think this will be my retreat country where I end up being one day. So uh, I'm I'm very happy of of those connections and and that they're so lovely people. Um, there's nothing I'm proud of. I I I wanna I always wanted to help, influence, drive, grow, and and somehow I I ended up in a position where I could do that. Um, but I don't think that proud is is the right word. I was happy and conf no and and yeah, just happy if we did good stuff. But there were things uh, we, we were not good enough, you know, like the Women's World Cup Canada 215 on artificial turf. It still annoys me today that we had to do that. That didn't make me happy. Um, and I'm not proud of this, uh, but I couldn't do I couldn't do much. So, no, um, proud is the wrong world. Um, I'm happy that there were things we could we could influence. Man, this is why I enjoy learning from you. You sort of challenge yourself with your answers and, and I'm super grateful and I'm learning right now from you as always Tatiana on this podcast I finish with a inspirational question just for the listeners going oh my gosh I've learned quite a lot from Tatiana different perspectives of the football industry just what three guidance tips would you give to people who actually want to pursue a career in the football industry what would you give I like a lot when people have the right passion Everybody wants to work in sports and everybody wants to work in football. And then if I ask, what have you done in football? Then if the answer is I'm a fan of this or that club and I watched every game, then that's not enough. Um, to work in, in sports, I, I, I think I think we can call it sports because it's it's what people love. And, and your sport might be football or it might be something else. Or you start in something else and, and your main sport is actually, I don't know, something else. That's fine. But there's... A thousand people, a million of people want to work in sports and there's so few jobs. So you have no chance if you don't bring more than just being a fan. And I think to give credit to the athletes who are out there for those you are doing a job and a role, you need to know what they go through. Why are they athletes? Why, you know, what is the rule of this sport? What are the challenges of this sport? What, what are the opportunities in this sport? What needs to change? What do we need to get better for the athletes and for the people living, breathing in that sport? If you don't know that, then it's also difficult to be really good. Um, that Those are some of the fundamental things. And then I think modesty, um, because... Um, you know, we have in our sports, no matter in which one, you you might work on a grassroots level. You might work, um, there's ch child safety issues, human safety issues. There's the commercial game. I mean, there's everything, but be respectful and mindful of where you work. And then have always the respect for people. Um, yeah, I think that those are some of my fundamental beliefs I want to see when I work with people in sports. 
I don't think I need to add know-how, expertise, passion. No, no, no. You said that. That's, I agree. So it's it's mm -hmm. the real fundamental thing. If somebody writes to me and says, I want to work with you, for you, in football and whatever, my first question would be, what have you done so far? And I, if you have not been a volunteer, if you have not coached a girls team, if you have not invested yourself, watched games, you know, I, I keep saying, I mean, Switzerland has now the privilege to host the Women's Euro 2025, which is amazing. And you can imagine how many people reached out to me saying, hey, Tatiana, this is fantastic. How can I get involved? How can I work? How can I get a job in this new structure? And I, I said, you know, I have lived in Zurich and in Switzerland my last 20 years. I know who went to the Swiss women's national team games. And I know who went to FC Zurich Champions League games and to FC Zurich or Grasshoppers or Basel or Young Boys Bern League games. And if I have never, ever seen you at one of these games, I don't think you're the right person. Goes back to what you said earlier, it's having the right buy-in. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm very black and well, white sometimes. <laughs> hey, no, this is what the this is what it's all about. It's all about providing like the the truth or pursuing a career in the football industry. So I'm super grateful. Out of interest though, how can people interact with you on social media? Like where are the best places um to people to reach out? Um well, that is maybe something I can say that I'm proud of. I answer basically every message, no matter where I get it as long as it's uh, polite and uh, no bullshit and no PR and no sponsorship requests. But if people want to write to me, reach out, uh, is it LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever? I'm not so much on Facebook, but just reach out. That is great to all the listeners listening in. Those links will be on my website with regards to this awesome podcast. Um, Tatiana, it's been such a joy chatting with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you for your support and everything you do. It has been amazing. Thanks very much. Wow, what a fantastic podcast chat with Tatiana and I hope you're energized and pumped as I am. For me, it's conversations like this that one, make me want to improve with regards to my personal development, career development, but also being more mindful how things are in certain industries. So in this case, the football industry. And the one thing I really admire about Tatiana is the persistence, her dedication, to create change over such a long period of time. Like, I have to be honest, I'm a newbie. I've sort of been involved in women's football, like I mentioned in the podcast chat for the Athens Women's Football Summit and back in 2019. It just literally opened my eyes of this different aspect of sport, um, different approach to football, because I totally agree with Tatiana. It's a totally different product, uh, how you compare men's football and how you package women's football. And I think when you look at it like that from an industry standpoint, you start to see, see things as a business. And for me, that's what I really enjoyed the most from Tatiana of her. She nicely sharing how things are done of decision making in different organizations and how in a way power has such an influence of how things are done in the football industry too like you're just getting a snippet and I'm so so grateful that Tatiana managed to share that in our conversation because for me I'm all about equity I'm all about equal access from employment standpoint it really one component of why I started this podcast show to be a tool to educate the world of like there are no barriers in what area of the industry you've got to pursue a career in as long as like Tatiana said a few times you've got to have the knowledge you've got to have the expertise and then you've got to back it up in what you deliver 
And the one area that I love the most, and this is relating to her self-awareness of where she wants to keep growing, is when she said she wasn't proud, but happy that there's gradual change. And I really enjoyed that because in that actual moment, when I listened to that live, I knew I need to up my game. And I hope this podcast isn't just a tool to motivate you and after you've listened to it yet, I mean you, listen to this right now, that you feel pumped and you're going to change the football industry overnight. No, there is a process. It does take time like anything, but I think it starts with us. It starts with our behavior. It starts with our attitude. And when we showcase our values, our attitudes in these environments, it could be football clubs, it could be the women's football industry, which I firmly believe it will have its own identity. Just because if you're going to treat women's football as a separate product, there'll be different processes to market that, deliver that, and it's just different. That shouldn't stop people working it with the right values and care. That's what Tatiana said, like, it's all about showing care in the growth and everybody profit, meaning the organizations, the employers, the players, and within that, there's equality. And I think for me, right now, where women's football is, this podcast, I think is such a great educational tool. And I really, really do hope you benefited it as much as I have. Like, for me, these are the sort of conversations I'm super grateful for from the special guest. Super grateful because I hope now after listening to this, when you're in those environments in the football industry, particularly if you want to work in women's football, you're just mindful of how things are done. And for me, that's what it's all about. It's being mindful. And then when you showcase your quality, showcase your uniqueness, and you provide a buy-in of how you want to make a difference in the football industry in general, that's how you're going to create opportunities. I want your career to be successful. And that's what it's all about. And for me, that's why I really admire what Tatiana Shahed. Uh, I've had the privilege of having some face-to-face conversations through the Athens Women's Football Summit. And every time I'm in her company, I learn something new. It could be the body language. It could be the, the use of humor to educate me to create new change. Or it could be of like listening more than talking. Even when Tatiana said you've got to be a good talker to keep repeating the message of creating new change. But for me, I listen a lot more in her presence. And for me, this is where role models are important. Leaders are important in any industry, but particularly in the football industry where every it's the most popular, especially with regards to if you want to pursue a career in Europe, working in the football industry is the most popular area where people want to pursue a career in. So I really do hope you found this podcast helpful. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be super grateful if you could share it and leave an honest review relating to your experience listening to this podcast. Um, I'll be super grateful for that because it's these sort of conversations I know has influenced my career development and I know it will support yours too. So whatever you learned from this podcast, put it into action today and make it happen. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Tatiana said, to work in football, you need to know the know-how, how things are done, to make the right decisions with self-confidence, courage, and motivation to make your career in football a reality.